0: you know that we are looking at the uh, book of Job. And tonight we continue, tonight, uh, this afternoon either, this morning even. It's been a long day. <laughs> this morning we have um, 21 chapters of Job. Uh, we're not going to read them all. Uh, we're just going to read one chapter. Uh, but I'm going to try and cover the general thrust of those whole 21 chapters in this one talk. I want to begin by asking you, uh, have you ever asked the question... Uh, is God for me or is God against me? Think about that question. Is God for me? Is God on my side or is God against me? And we all know the, uh, the Sunday school answer. We all know, you know, if God is for me, who can be against me? Many of us can quote Romans eight twenty eight. We know that in all things God worked for the good of those who love him. We know that. We know that, that truth. But what about when you don't feel it? What about when things happen in your life that you just start to question and doubt whether God really does love you and whether God really is for you? Let me tell you about Arthur. Arthur had been married for 55 years. 55 years, that's that's amazing, isn't it? The last 10 years of his married life were really tough because his wife suffered Alzheimer's. And he watched his wife uh, deteriorate It just began where she'd forget some shopping or she'd forget to put things back after dinner. But then her memory started to go and go and go until she forget where she lived and she forgot who her husband was. And it was like she was living with this stranger. Arthur was a godly Christian man. And during that 10-year period... There were many times where he asked, why? Why, God, are you really at work here? What are you doing here? Are you for me or are you against me? A friend of mine is a minister up at the Central Coast. Uh, The birth of your first child is supposed to be a beautiful thing. But that first child was born profoundly disabled. Profoundly disabled. Uh, Unable to uh, talk, walk, wash, feed, toilet. And, you know, not just for for one year, but for the last 15 years, day in, day out, week in, week out, they've cared for that child. And there are times where they've cried out, why? Why, God? Why us? What are you doing? And as I look out, there are things in your life that have happened to you. I know they've happened to you. Things that have hurt you so badly. And surely you've wept and you've cried, why, 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 why? And you've asked, is God for me or is God against me? Chapters 1 and 2 of Job, we met a a man. His name was Job. He was blameless. He was upright. He was profoundly blessed by God. And we saw in one day calamity after calamity after calamity, his cattle, then his possessions, then his property, uh, then his kids, and then his health we all taken away from him. And we saw amazing trust, didn't we? Chapter 1, God gives and God takes away. May the name of the Lord be praised. He's saying, God, you're in control. Yeah, you give good things and you take good things away from us. Whatever happens in life, I'm going to trust you. And you read those chapters and you think, wow, what a great man Job is. What a great model, this, this stoic man of faith. He conquered And it's tempting to read Job and say, oh, we should be like that. Never scream, never cry, never weep. Just be this strong, stoic person saying, God's in control. But let's be honest. Let's get real. Job is a, a very long book. Job is 42 chapters long. And you don't just jump from chapter 2 to chapter 42. In between, you've got 40 long chapters. Chapters of struggle, chapters of despair, chapters of Job just crying out to God. And I'm really thankful these chapters are here. Because they give a really balanced view of how you do cope when tragedy strikes. Someone said the the, test, the real test for genuine faith is loss or suffering. The real test for genuine faith is loss or suffering. When you lose something or someone precious to you, when you're hurting so badly, the question is, will you worship God or will you walk away from God? And in Job chapters 1 and 2, he seems to be this stoic, sounding right worshiping God-believer, but peel back the exterior, look on the inside, and what you find is what's really going on, and that is battling and struggling and despair. And when you turn to chapter 3, the tone changes, and you've got lamenting and quarreling and questioning and longing. It's kind of the uh, what I call the delayed shock syndrome. I remember when my, my father died 20 years ago. That first week after he died, I was just numb, you know, I didn't feel grief, I didn't feel the pain because I was just busy organising the funeral ringing the relatives and just doing stuff it's only like a week later when I just sat and I just sobbed that's when the pain really hit it's kind of like Job yeah he's lost his kids, he's lost his wealth, he's lost his health, he seems to be coping incredibly well, turn to chapter three and the tears start to flow because the world around Job keeps turning, but it's a world where his suffering continues. And this morning, you've got 24 chapters of screaming. What you've got is, we're going to hear chapter, chapter 19 Read right in a minute. You've got this cycle in these chapters. You've got three friends, uh, Bildad, Zophar, and Eliphaz. Uh, and one friend speaks, Job responds. Another friend speaks, Job responds. Another friend speaks, Job responds. And then it starts again, three cycles, and each time it gets shorter and shorter and shorter, and each time it gets more, more aggressive, if you want, and more, ah, uh, what's the word? Pathetic. Their counselling, their reasoning gets more and more pathetic. I'm really glad these chapters are here because I find them refreshing. There's no such thing in the Christian life as triumphalism. They pretend it's not happening. There's a song that some churches sing, you know, in his presence our problems disappear. And you want to cry out, no, they don't. (laughs) Yeah, God is present, but my problems are still here. There's a book at Kurong, I saw it a few weeks ago. It says, I'm not supposed to feel like this. That was the title, I'm not supposed to feel like this. I'm thinking, yes, you are. It's okay. It's okay to be upset. It's okay to be sad. Let's listen to Job, listen to chapter 19 and just feel the the burden that that he feels upon him. I'll invite David to come and read the scriptures to us.
1: Then Job replied, how long will you torment me and crush me with your words? Ten times now you have reproached me, shamelessly you attacked me. If it is true that I've gone astray, my error remains my concern alone. If indeed you would exalt yourself above me and use my humiliation against me, then know that God has wronged me and drawn his net around me. Though I cry, I have been wronged, I get no response. Though I call for help, there is no justice. He has blocked my way so I cannot pass. He has shrouded my paths in darkness. He has stripped me of my honour and removed the crown from my head. He tears me down on every side till I am gone. He uproots my hope like a tree. His anger burns against me. He counts me among his enemies. His troops advance in force. They build a siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. He has alienated my brothers from me. My acquaintances and are completely estranged from me. My kinsmen have gone away. My friends have forgotten me. My guests and my maidservants count me a stranger. They look upon me as an alien. I summon my servant, but he does not answer, though I beg him with my own mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife. I am loathsome to my own brothers. Even the little boys scorn me. When I appear, they ridicule me. All my intimate friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. I am nothing but skin and bones, and I have escaped with only the skin of my teeth. Have pity on me, my friends, have pity, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you pursue me as God does? Will you never get enough of my flesh? Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. If you say how we will hound him since the root of the trouble lies in him, you should fear the sword yourself. For wrath will bring punishment by the sword, and then you will know that there is judgment.
0: Thanks, David. Please keep your Bibles open at Job. We're going to turn back to uh, chapter 3. Job chapter 3. That's on page uh, 360. And we're going to look at three of, of Job's laments. How does Job wrestle with God... In the midst of his suffering. First thing Job says is this. He, the first lament is, I wish I'd never been born. Job is basically saying, I wish I'd never been born. Look with me at chapter 3, verses 3 to 5. May the day of my birth perish, and the night it was said, a boy is born. That day may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine upon it. May darkness and deep shadow claim it once more. And may a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm its light. He's saying, take that birthday, take that day on the calendar, whatever the date was, whatever the year was, and blot it out. I wish it had never existed because I wish I'd never been born. He's kind of saying there's there's two terminal points in life, your birth date and your death date, and he's just longing that those two dates was merging to one. Now, do you feel the depth of his despair? And people say it's better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. And people say to Job, you know, it's better to have all your possessions, and have a good life and lost them, than never to have them at all. And Job says, really? I wish I never had them. I wish I never had the good life and never had the kids and never had the possessions and than to have had them and taken them away. The question I want to ask you is, in the midst of your pain, have you ever plumbed the depth where you're in such agony that actually you really wish that you never existed? I know people who have done that, who have felt that. What hope can we give them? We'll see that at the end of tonight's talk, this morning's talk. But maybe you're not that black, but maybe you have thought... You know, if only I hadn't made that decision, if only I hadn't done this, if only I hadn't moved to that place and hadn't met that person, your life is just full of regrets and regrets and regrets. And you said, wow, oh, God, no. Serious lamenting. His second lament is this. Uh, what have I done to deserve this? He's basically saying, I'm innocent. I'm innocent, God. Look at these verses. Chapter 6, verse 10. I would still have this consolation, my joy in unrelenting pain that I had not denied the words of the Holy One. Uh, Chapter 10, verse 7, Job says, You know I am not guilty. 13, verse 9, Can anyone bring charges against me? If so, I'll be silent and die. Uh, Chapter 19, uh, God's troops advance in force. They build a siege ramp against me. They encamp around my tent. He's basically saying, God, I am righteous. I have done good things. I have strived to be uh, godly. I have... Offer sacrifices to my kids and he's crying, what have I done God to deserve this, now what's he questioning think about it, what is it about God's character that he's questioning God's justice he's basically saying, God are, are you really just are you really fair he's like Timmy, life's not fair, God you're not fair I'm a good person, why are these things happening to me And surely there's things that happen in your life and my life that we just say, is God really just? The third lament is this. I think I'm alone now. Job feels at the depth of his despair utter, utter isolation. Remember we left him in chapter 2. He was sitting on a rubbish heap Outside the city with his broken pot, scraping his, his skin, with no kids and no cattle, and a wife who appeared briefly but then never hear from her again. He just feels utterly, utterly alone. Again, at chapter 19, just sense the isolation. It's on page 369. 19, verse 13. He has alienated my brothers from me. Verse 14, my friends have forgotten me. Verse 15, my guests and my maids have encountered me a stranger. Verse 17, I'm loathsome to my own brothers. Verse 18, even little kids ridicule me. Verse 19, all my intimate friends detest me. What, what feeling do you get from that man? just the words he speaks, the songs he sings, he's saying, there's nobody here for me. You ever felt that? That the, There's laughter happening in other people's lives, but you're not included, and there's a family party happening, but you haven't been invited. You just feel utterly, utterly shut out and alone, and nobody really knows how you're feeling. I remember sitting with a, a good friend of mine who, many of you know him, his son was murdered. And I could sit with him, and I could... You know, I could share in his pain, but I didn't know what he was really feeling. I hadn't been there. Until you'd actually been there and suffered that loss, you do know what it feels. You don't know what it feels like. That's how Job feels. You can offer words of comfort, but you don't really know how I'm feeling. You haven't lost your kids. You haven't lost your house. You haven't lost all your property and all your possessions. And I feel utterly, utterly alone. And in the midst of it, he's even questioning whether, whether God has left him. When um, C.S. Lewis' wife died, uh, he wrote a book called A Grief Observed. He said this. Meanwhile, where is God? When you're happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing him, so happy that you are tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption, if you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But... I go to him when your need is desperate, when all of the help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face, and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside, and after that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more empath- emphatic the, the silence will become. There are no lights in the windows. It might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seemed so once to reach a stage where you're so alone that you think even God has left you but that's not quite job you know because even in the midst of his despair no matter how how painful the suffering was he still recognized the hand of god he still recognized that god was in control these verses why is life given to a man whose way is hidden whom God has hedged in whom God has put into this situation the arrows of the almighty are in me God's terrors are marshaled against me it's God's hand against me why have you made me your target O God surely O God you have worn me out you have devastated my entire household you have bound me God assails me and tears me oh verse 19 have pity on me my friends have pity on for the hand of God has struck me See, that's the difference. He still recognizes that in the midst of this, this is the hand of God. I reckon that's the difference in a way that a a believer laments and an unbeliever laments. See, if you're an unbeliever, if your worldview is that there is no God and that everything happens by chance, then what right have you got to shout at God and feel alone when bad things happen? If your worldview is that things just happen by fate, then when bad things happen to you, why would you blame God or call out to God or feel anything wrong? Why not you? But as a believer who says there is a God who is in charge of this world, in control of this world, yeah, when the bad things happen to you, that's why you call out to him. Because he is your God. And he's he's supposed to be in control of your life. So you can call out to him, why, why, why me God? Here's a quote from a man who survived the horrors of Auschwitz. He said, it never occurred to me to question God's doing or lack of doing while I was an inmate in Auschwitz. I was no less or no more religious because of what the Nazis did to us. It never occurred to me to associate the calamity we were experiencing with God. That sounds amazing, but I wonder, if if we take the goodness of God seriously, if we really say that God is good and God is just and God God is sovereign and God is in control, then it's right, like Job, that we lament. It's right, like Job, that we say, where are you, God? It's right, like Job, that we cry out and say, I'm feeling all alone here because he's supposed to be our God. And that's why I find these verses so refreshing. It's not long to lament. It's not long to cry and sob. He's not doubting God's sovereignty. He never contradicts that the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. He's just saying, actually, Lord, you'll give me really hard times now. God, you'll give me the really tough times now, and in the midst of that, I feel all alone. Friends, in the midst of your pain, please cry. Please lament. But I do pray that your friends will be better The friends that Job had. (laughs) We can look very briefly at those three friends. They are lousy counsellors. Three guys called Bildad, Zophar, and Eliphaz. And they approach Job and they've got nothing to offer. They're basically saying, You're suffering because you sinned. It's all encapsulated in the peanuts cartoon. Lucy says to Charlie Brown, she says, "Uh, There's one thing you're going to have to learn. You reap what you sow. You Get out of life what you put into it. No more or no less. Uh, And Snoopy, the dog's in the corner. He doesn't like this very much and he mutters these words. He says, I'd kind of like to see a margin for error. I'd kind of like to see a little margin for error. But the problem with these three friends is they have no margin for error. Their God is so boxed in. You know, God is in control, God is fair, and so God always punishes the wicked and God always blesses the righteous. They're saying, if you're suffering, Job, you must have sinned, and I pray that your friends would not have that kind of theology, and I pray that you would not have that theology when your friends are suffering. Sure, sometimes there is this correlation between your suffering and your sin. Sometimes you do reap what you sow, you know? When you've got a, a drunk driver and there's a fatality because of a drunk driver, yeah, there's consequences there and people are suffering because of somebody's sin. But sometimes we suffer and there's no particular sin that you can associate it with. Listen to the words of these friends. They have no place for waiting, they have no place for Satan, they have no mystery of God. Let me give you some verses. Bildad says, how long will you say such things? Your words are a blustering wind. As Zophar says, will, you, will no one rebuke you when you mock? You say to God, My beliefs are flawless. I'm pure in your sight. How I wish God would speak that he would open his lips against you, Job. And Bildad says, When you, will you end these speeches? Uh, these three friends have such a tight theology of God. It's all about the here and now. God must punish you in the here and now. So if you are suffering, he must be punishing you for something. And they have no concept of eternity. They have no concept of the end time judgment. It's all about the here and now. Uh, These friends have no patience. It's just basically, I'm not going to listen to what you say, Job. I've got my fixed theology of God and I'm just going to speak this to you, whatever you say. They have no humility. And if I say... We've examined this, and it's true, so hear it and apply it to yourself. What do you know that we don't know? What insights do you have that we don't have? They're basically saying, Job, we are right and you're wrong. These friends, the problem is that they just do theology by the book. And that, my friends, is one of the deepest concerns I have for evangelical Christians. We have such a a tight theology, it's almost like we can say this is what God must do. And so we try and just impose this theology onto every single situation. And we try and box God in as to what he should do and he will do. James Dobson said, "Uh, I used to have Four theories about how to raise kids. And I now have four kids and no theories. Because there's a man who's lived life and realized that you can't put a theory on every situation in life. And my fear is that we have young people and old people who just come a bit like these friends with Bible verses and they hit you over the head with a Bible verse this is right, this is true. No compassion, no kindness, no looking at the situation and no humility and no saying, I'm not God, I don't know what God is doing here. And in your counselling, as you're dealing with friends who are suffering, if you yourselves are suffering, please don't tell God what he must do. Please don't tell God what he should do because you're not God. In the midst of this, I want to finish by looking at Job's longing. We've seen Job's lamenting, we've seen the friend's lousy counseling, but in the midst of this this glimmer of hope, it's like a mustard seed of hope. It is so minute, but it's a real faith. I want to finish with it. Job is just longing for God's presence, longing for a mediator, and longing for a redeemer. Job is kind of saying, God, I love you so much. And that's why I'm hurting so much. I long to be right with you. I long to hear you speak, God. Please, God, why are you doing this? It's like, it's like a, a wife who's had a, had a row with her husband. And the husband's walked away. And the woman sits all alone and she's screaming. And she's saying the words, I hate you, I hate you. She doesn't hate her. She doesn't hate him at all. The reason that she's hurting, the reason that she's screaming is because she loves him. And she just wants to be with him. That's Job and his God. He, he longs for God's presence. Chapter 19 again. I know we'll, get, we'll come on to that. Uh, listen to these words. Chapter 23. 23 verses 8 and 9. Job says, If I go to the east, God is not there. If I go to the west, I don't find him. When he's at work in the north, I don't see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. He's saying, God, where are you? I just want to see you. I want to see your face. He's longing for a mediator. Someone to go between him and God. Chapter 9, verse 33 says this, If only there were someone to arbitrate between us. Someone to remove God's rod from me. But what he really longs for is this Redeemer. And look at these amazing words. Chapter 19, verses 25 to 27. I know that my Redeemer lives. And in the end, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I, not another. How my heart yearns within me. Job is saying, I will not believe that God is this monster. I will not believe that God is just this vengeful dictator monster. I know God. I I know God. I know he's good and I know he's sovereign. I know he's a covenant God. I know I belong to God. I am part of God's family and look at it. I will see God. I know I will see God. And I know God will vindicate me. I just don't know when. And Job can say, It might even be death until I see God and feel his presence again like I once felt it. God might take me to death. But I know I'm going to see him not as an angry God, but as what? As my, what's the word? I know my redeemer lives. Now, I find those words extraordinary from a man that lived hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus that he can call God his Redeemer. That he looks at the God who created this world and said, he's the same God who will rescue me, who will ransom me, who will bring me back to myself, to himself. It doesn't solve his problems. He's still hurting. His skin is still festering. He's still alone. But he brings God and eternity into the picture and he holds on to his integrity, he holds on to God's sovereignty, and he's just longing for that day of justice and longing for that day when he'll see God. See, in many ways, our friend Job is the, is the forerunner to Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus? He suffered. He suffered and then he sat in the Garden of Gethsemane and three lousy friends tried to counsel him, Peter, James, and John. They couldn't even bother to wait and pray. And yeah, he felt distant from God. If there's any other way, God, please. It's not my will, but your will. The difference being that Jesus is not just longing for a mediator. He is the mediator. And he's not just longing for a redeemer. He is the redeemer. He's not just longing for justice. He is the one who will bring justice. And that, my friend, is why Handel, in his his Messiah put these words of Job 19 together with 1 Corinthians 15. And in Handel's Messiah, he said this, I know that my redeemer lives. He shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Why? For now is Christ risen from the dead. The first fruits of them that fall asleep. Christ has risen. The Lord Jesus Christ has risen and defeated death. And if you know Christ, if Christ is your Lord and your Savior and your Redeemer then you know that you will rise and that you will stand on that last day and you will see God. No matter what you're going through right now, whatever tragedy God takes you through, you can say with confidence, I know my Redeemer lives because Christ has risen and I will see him and I will stand before him and I'll see him face to face. And my flesh, yeah, that may fail. My possessions, yeah, they will go. I might feel sad. I might feel lonely. I might feel deserted. I might feel angry. I might feel unfair. But you know what? I know my Redeemer lives. You ever ask the question is God for me or God against me? Please don't have a nice, neat theology. Have a theology that's robust enough to say, I don't know what's happening, I don't know why this is happening. But God is in control. And I know I will see him face to face. Because if you're in Christ, listen carefully, if you're in Christ, you are never alone. If you're in Christ, you are never alone, no matter how alone you feel. And if you're in Christ, we will see justice. And if you're in Christ, he's your redeemer and your brother and your friend. So as you heard, as you wrestle as you cry, as you suffocate under the pain, as you lament, please utter these words I know my Redeemer lives. In the end, he'll stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, in my flesh, I will see God. I'm going to pray. Father, there are times in life where we are perplexed as to what you are doing. Lord, there are times when we just ache with the pain. Lord, there are times where we feel so alone. And there are times, Lord, where we just cry out for justice. Lord, in those times, please help us to to long for your presence and long for redemption and long just to see you face to face. In those times, Lord, help us as we listen to others, not to listen to lousy counseling. And Lord, if you call us to counsel others in those times of darkness, help us, Lord, to be loving and humble to have a right view of you and your sovereignty and your goodness may our words offer them hope and not just condemnation lord we love you we thank you that you do live and we thank you that you will bring justice and we thank you that you are in control and we thank you father no matter we're going to no matter what we face in our lives because of Christ, because of his resurrection, because of the fact that he's defeated death and he is seated with you and reigning now, that we have a hope, a hope that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And we thank you for that in Jesus' precious name.